thank you for the privilege, and it is a privilege, to stand before you and, and want to be one with you and one of you. I'm doubly blessed tonight to be with the missionaries as we are from time to time, occasionally during the course of the year, not as often as we'd like, but to be with the missionaries, the elders and sisters here at the MTC finishing your training and some stage of your training, and tonight with a unique and special double blessing to be with mission presidents and wives who join you, elders and sisters, going to the field for the most rewarding three years of their lives as you start the most rewarding two years for your own lives, 18 months in the case of some. I pray with all my heart that what I have to say will be of some value to both audiences, a unique opportunity here at the seminar. I ask through the course of my remarks if you're struggling, if an elder's homesick or a sister's blue or a mission president is sick to his stomach and doesn't dare admit it and uh, his wife is trying not to be hysterical, at least in public. <laughs> if you are anywhere across that wonderful range of emotions, facing a missionary of any age and circumstance about to serve, I ask you to think of me. No young man could have ever been more affected by a mission than I was. No one. No one in my family had ever served a mission. My father was a convert and that was understandable. And my mother's family had not been able to go and the sisters in the family. And just for whatever reason, uh, I was the first to go. And we didn't know what we were doing and I didn't know what clothing to take and I'd never been farther than Beaver or Bunkerville in either direction. I didn't know anything. And maybe there's a missionary out here who thinks that he hasn't had the best preparation in the world or isn't the most polished arrow, polished arrow in the quiver. Maybe there's a mission president and wife who'll wonder whether God can really make anything of them. Well, I ask you to think of me. Not that much has been made of me, but it's just been my whole life. Everything that has ever mattered to me since I was 19 has been affected by what you're doing. A mission president who could see something, a mission president's wife who could be kind and charitable and patient, missionary companions who were forgiving and patient and understanding, members, and priesthood leaders,
and a legion of people who have made me what I am today. And I will be forever grateful. Now, a lot of wonderful things have happened since, principal of which is my marriage to Sister Holland and our family and priesthood assignments of one kind or another and a chance to serve. But everything, all, all of that, and everything that I hold dear has somehow been affected by my decision to serve a mission. Now, presidents, when you just are beside yourself and you want to kick over the tea kettle and <laughs> bash the missionaries and go home, don't. don't. Just, just a little word of advice here at the MTC, don't. <laughs> Because it might be me, you know. That might be me sitting out there, green and new and confused and overwhelmed, inadequate. Maybe you can make something out of me. Maybe the least likely prospect you've got can still somehow struggle through and amount to something somewhere down the road. And elders and sisters, don't you ever quit. Don't you ever give up. Don't ever talk to me about going home. I've said from this pulpit before, I am manifestly the wrong man in this world to talk to about whether you want to go home. You better talk to somebody else. Because I am absolutely totally and completely biased. I am insufferable on that subject. I would wrestle you to the ground. I would, I would grapple with you all the way to the airplane terminal. I would, I'd get in your backpack and go with you. I would, <laughs> you will never get rid of me. You try to go home, you look up in the middle of the night in your bedroom window, I'll be there. I'll, <laughs> I'll be there. I'll, and I might scratch on the window pane. I might make sounds. <laughs> Just don't you ever turn away from this greatest experience of your life. I couldn't live with it. I could not allow you. I couldn't do anything within my power but have you experience what in some way I experienced in these brethren and sisters, your predecessors before you and your missionary companions who follow you, your little brothers and your little sisters to the end of time. I am grateful for this mission. And I uh, pray that as I try to bear testimony and fill the assignment that I've been given, to speak about the Savior of the world, the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I try to bear testimony of something of what that means for missionary work, that you will know how much that means to me, how much I've been given, and how much every missionary's given, and how much the world has been given by the light and the life of the Son of God. The prophet Joseph once declared
that all things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to the atonement of Jesus Christ. In like manner and for the same reasons, every truth that a missionary teaches is only an appendage to the central message of all time. That is, that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Holy Messiah, the Promised One, the Savior and the Redeemer of the world, that He alone burst the bands of death and triumphed over the captivity of hell, that no one of us could ever have these same blessings without His intervention in our behalf, and that there never shall be, ever, any other name given, nor any other way nor means, whereby salvation can come unto the children of men except in and through the name of Christ, the Lord Omnipotent. The missionary's basic message is that with a complete offering of his body, his blood, the anguish of his spirit, Christ atoned for the initial transgression of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and also for the personal sins of everyone else who would ever live in this world from Adam to the end of all time. Some of those blessings are unconditional, such as the gift of the resurrection. Other of the blessings of the atonement, at least the full realization of them, are very conditional, requiring the keeping of commandments, the performance of ordinances, and living the life of a disciple of Christ. Either way, the essential message of the gospel is the same, the starting point for all other truths. It is this from the Master's own lips. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thus the atonement of Christ, which makes that return to the Father possible, is rightfully seen as the central fact the crucial foundation, the chief doctrine of the great eternal plan of salvation, our Heavenly Father's plan in missionary language, which you missionaries are called to teach. Little wonder then that the greatest missionary the world has ever known, perhaps at least one of them, Apostle Paul, said, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Inherent of all, in all of this is a rather simple definition of the gospel, if you will, at least simple when considered in its essence. The word gospel, as we use it in English, comes down to us through early scriptural language which meant, literally, good news, or sometimes glad tidings. The good news was that death and hell could be escaped, that mistakes and sins could be overcome, that there was hope, that there was help, that the insoluble was solved, that the enemy had been conquered. The good news was that everyone's tomb could one day be empty. 
that everyone's soul could be like his, pure. That every child of God could again return to the Father who gave them life. This is the essence of the message delivered by every prophet who has ever lived and every apostle ever called to this work. It is the message mission presidents and missionaries are called to declare. It is the message of the angel who came to those unsuspecting Judean shepherds. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Or in other words, I bring you the gospel personified, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There is not a mission president or his wife in this room who does not already know the centrality of this doctrine. And probably, I should hope, there are very few missionaries, if any, who do not know it also. But I have been surprised, as you may be, to regularly be with the missionaries and discover that this is not something that readily comes forward in a discussion of missionary work. For example, in zone conferences, which are some of the greatest teaching moments we as general authorities have with these young elders and sisters, I have asked missionaries what it is they want investigators to do as a result of their discussions with them. Be baptized! Just a chorus, just an anthem. Just knocks the whole south wall of the building out. Be baptized! Well, yes, I say we do, <laughs> we do want them to be baptized, but what has to precede that? Well, now they're leery. Aha, they think, this is a test. This is a test of the first discussion. Read the Book of Mormon, someone shouts. Pray! An elder roars from the back of the room. Attend church, one of the sisters on the front row declares. Receive all the discussions. Well, you've pretty much covered the commitments in the first discussion, I say, but really now, what do you want your investigators to do yet? Be baptized. The chorus comes a second time. Elders, I plead, you have already told me about baptism. I am still asking. Well, now they are stumped. It must be a test on commitments from the other discussions. Live the word of wisdom, someone says. Pay tithing, another shouts, and so it goes. I don't always run through that little exercise in his own conference, but sometimes if I have the time, I do. And I have to say that almost never do the missionaries get around to identifying the two most fundamental things we want investigators to do prior to baptism and anything else. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sins. I virtually never hear that from missionaries. Yet, we believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are, first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, repentance. Then, third, 
baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, fourth, laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have, understandably enough, sometimes been so preoccupied with the ordinance of baptism, and no one is more anxious to get baptisms than I am. I've already warned the mission presidents, don't let me come to your mission, that we have to some extent done our missionaries and ultimately our investigators a disservice by inadvertently, and it's only inadvertent, by inadvertently sliding the Savior's gift of the atonement and the meaning of baptism. A convert's new life is to be built upon faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his redeeming sacrifice. Conviction that he really is the Son of God, that he lives this very moment, that he really is the door of the sheepfold, that he alone holds the key to our salvation and exaltation. That belief is then to be followed by true repentance. Repentance which shows our desire to be clean and renewed and whole. Repentance that allows us to lay claim to the full blessings of the atonement. Then comes baptism for the remission of those sins. Yes, baptism is also for membership in the church. But that isn't what the prophet Joseph chose to stress in that article of faith. He stressed that baptism was for the remission of sins, focusing you and me, the missionary and the investigator, again on the atonement, on salvation, on the gift that Christ has given us all. This points that new convert, convert toward the blessings of the good news, the glad tidings. Now, in an effort to keep missionary work as closely linked to the Savior's ministry as we can, let me suggest some things you might do to keep Christ and His atonement in the forefront of your missionaries and your investigators' consciousness. Encourage in every way possible more spiritual church meetings, especially sacrament meetings. One of the great fears missionaries have, at least in some locations, is taking their investigators to church. And indeed, the investigators deserve to feel essentially the same spirit in sacrament meeting that they feel when being taught by the missionaries. And sometimes this is not the case. If your mission, I speak particularly to the mission presidents, is largely in organized stakes and wards, you won't have as much direct influence over such matters as when you have mission districts and branches. Nevertheless, as mission presidents and missionaries, you can cultivate a close working relationship with those stake presidents and bishops, those district presidents and branch presidents. You can encourage them and offer any assistance you can toward making a spiritual, Christ-centered experience in all of our church meetings, especially our sacrament services. It will also help orient these investigators if you missionaries will take some time to explain the ordinance of the sacrament. They will be witnessing, undoubtedly, surely, for the first time in their life. Explain what it means that it has something to do with the renewing of baptismal covenants that the emblems represent the Savior's body and blood and so forth. You could read to these investigators the sacramental prayers as found in the scriptures. 
You could share some of the words of a favorite sacramental hymn or any number of other things that would help these new visitors and prospective members have a powerful learning experience when they visit a sacrament meeting. In like manner, do all that you can to make your baptismal services a spiritual, Christ-centered experience. A new convert deserves to have this be a sacred, carefully planned, spiritually uplifting moment. The prayers, the hymns, surely the talks that are given, all ought to be focused on the significance of this ordinance and the atonement of Christ, which makes it efficacious. Probably no other meeting we hold in the church has the high referral and future baptismal harvest that a baptismal service does. Something like 80% of the investigators who attend a baptismal service, that is, the service of someone else being baptized, will go on to his or her own baptism. But I think the only way that statistic will hold up is if this service is a spiritual, strong teaching moment in which it is clear to participants and visitors alike that this is a sacred act of faith centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's an act of repentance claiming the cleansing power of the Savior, that through His majesty and atonement it brings a remission of sins as well as, with confirmation, membership in the church. Missionaries, don't get so consumed with the frenzy to record a baptism that you yourselves forget what this baptism represents and what it must mean in the life of this new member. Throughout the teaching experience, missionaries must bear testimony of the Savior and his gift of salvation to us. Obviously, you should bear testimony regularly of all the principles you're teaching. But it is especially important that you bear testimony of this central doctrine in the plan of our Heavenly Father. There are several reasons for bearing testimony among missionaries. One is that when you declare the truth, it will bring an echo, a memory, even if it is an unconscious memory, to that investigator. They have heard this truth before. And of course they have. A missionary's testimony invokes a great legacy of testimony dating back to the councils in heaven before this world was. There in an earlier place these same people heard this same plan outlined and heard there the role that Jesus Christ would play in their salvation. Quote, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, this is the pre-mortal council in heaven, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. They were willing to fight for it. So the fact of the matter is, these investigators are not only hearing your testimony of Christ, they are hearing echoes of other, earlier testimonies, including their own testimony. For they were on the side of the faithful once, who kept their first estate, 
and earn the privilege of a second estate. We must always remember that these investigators, every man, woman, and child among them walking the streets of your missions, were among the valiant who once overcame Satan by the power of their testimony of Christ. So when they hear the elders and sisters bear that witness of Christ's saving mission, it has a familiar feeling. It brings an echo of truth they themselves already know, even if they do not recognize it. Furthermore, when you bear witness of Christ and Him crucified, to use Paul's phrase, you invoke the power of God the Father and the Holy Ghost. The Savior Himself taught that, taught that before any other doctrine when He visited the Nephites. He said to them, After this manner shall ye baptize in my name. For behold, verily I say unto you, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one. And this is my doctrine, and it is the doctrine which the Father hath given unto me. Whoso believeth in me, believeth in the Father also. And unto him, the investigator, will the Father bear record of me. For he will visit him, the investigator, with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And thus will the Father bear record of me, says the Savior. And the Holy Ghost will bear record unto him, the investigator, of the Father and of me. For the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. This is my doctrine. And whoso buildeth upon this, buildeth upon my rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them." What a powerful statement about the power of testimony. So why do we want you to bear frequent and powerful testimony of Christ as Savior, as Redeemer, as atoning Lamb of God? Because that invites and becomes part of the divine power of testimony borne by God the Father and by the Holy Ghost. A testimony born on wings of fire to the very heart of the investigator. Such a divine testimony of Christ is the rock upon which every new convert must build. Only this testimony of the atoning, anointed, victorious one will prevail against the gates of hell. So saith the Son of God himself. Study the scriptures conscientiously and become familiar with those passages that teach and testify of Christ's redeeming mission. I have said to missionaries all over this world that they make or break their mission from 6.30 to 9.30 in the morning. There are lots of reasons for that, not the least of which is obedience to mission rules. But one of the greatest reasons is that this is when they, you, the missionary, gets to study the gospel. And nothing will so touch your hearts and stir your souls like the truths of which we have been speaking here. Elders and sisters, in your companionship study and individual study, you become the investigator. In those morning hours, it is the studious, prayerful missionary who receives the Father's record of the Son, born with fire and with the Holy Ghost. To the heart of the missionary, that's why we want you up on time. It isn't any more complicated than that. We want you to prepare. We want you to receive the Spirit of the Lord. 
to receive anew every morning of your life that witness of the work of salvation in which you are engaged, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. If you don't get up and don't study, well, Jeremiah records the Lord's disappointment. I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, he said, but ye heard not. I called you, and you answered not. I would particularly ask you to study and teach the atonement of Christ from the Book of Mormon. I say that in a very biased way because it was on my own mission that I came to love the Book of Mormon and the majesty of the Son of God which is revealed there. In its unparalleled focus on the messianic message of the Savior of the world, the Book of Mormon is literally a New Testament or, to avoid confusion, another testament of Jesus Christ. As such, the book centers upon that which scriptural testaments have always centered since the days of Adam and Eve. The declaration to all that through the atonement of the Son of God, as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed, and all mankind, even as many as will. There is no time here to convey the wonder and breadth of these Book of Mormon sermons. But consider just two or three. These from the very earliest hours of the ministry. This from Nephi. And the world, because of their iniquity, shall judge him to be a thing of naught. Wherefore they scourge him, and he suffereth it. And they smite him, and he suffereth it. Yea, they spit upon him, and he suffereth it. Because of his loving kindness and his long suffering towards the children of men. Or this from Nephi at the end of his life. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men, Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, you shall have eternal life. Or, from Nephi's remarkable brother Jacob, who gave a two-day sermon on the fall and the atonement. Oh, how great the holiness of our God! He cometh into the world that he may save all men if they will hearken unto his voice. For behold, he suffereth the pains of all men, yea, the pains of every living creature, both men, women, and children, who belong to the family of Adam. And he suffereth this, that the resurrection might pass upon all. And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. Consider this from King Benjamin. Lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every poor, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. And even after all this they shall consider him a man, and say that he hath a devil, and shall scourge him, and shall crucify him. And he shall rise the third day from the dead. His blood atoneth for the sins of those who have fallen by the transgression of Adam, 
who have died not knowing the will of God concerning them or who have ignorantly sinned. Or, as a last example, this from the great patriarch Lehi. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth, that they may know there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. Now obviously, we can't go on here reading scriptures all night. But you will recognize that these samples, the time I've taken to share them, come from just the first few dozen pages of the Book of Mormon. We're essentially still in the small plates. Perhaps, though, that's enough to give you a feel for the urgent, impressive theme that then runs throughout that sacred record. With its declared title page purpose of testifying that Jesus is the Christ, little wonder that the Book of Mormon was the first and is still the greatest missionary tract of this dispensation. As Lehi says to me and to you, how great the importance to make these things of the atonement known unto the inhabitants of the earth. I testify to you that you will change lives, elders and sisters, including your own, if you'll teach the atonement, especially, not exclusively, but especially with emphasis on the Book of Mormon and from all of the other scriptures God has given us. Now almost everything I have said tonight I hope has been an aid directed toward the missionary process, ultimately toward the investigator. But may I close now with an extended testimony about how the atonement helps the missionary and the mission president. You will have occasion to ask, why is this work so hard? Why doesn't it go better? Why can't our success be more rapid? Why aren't there more people joining the church? It is the truth. We believe in angels. We trust and have seen miracles. Why don't people just flock to the font? Why isn't the only risk in the mission field that of pneumonia? Just being soaking wet all day and all night in the baptismal font. You'll have occasion to ask those questions. Why isn't it easier? Why can this work be so difficult? Why don't the people understand? And why do they ever reject it? Why do they reject us? Can't they see? Isn't it the truth? 
Of course it is. These are things that a 19 and a 20 and a 21-year-old will ask. I promise the mission presidents and their wives in the room that these are things that a 50 and 60 and 65-year-old will ask. I have thought about these questions a great deal. I have thought about them very, very often. And I offer this as my personal feeling. It's not church doctrine. It's just my feeling to you as you prepare to go into the mission field. I am convinced that missionary work is not easy because salvation is not a cheap experience. Salvation was never easy. We are the church of Jesus Christ. This is the truth. He is our great eternal head. How would we believe that it could possibly be easy for us when it was never, ever easy for him? Missionaries and mission presidents, surely we have to spend, we are invited to spend, we are allowed to spend a few hours in Gethsemane. A little time at Calvary, just a step or two toward the summit. I am not suggesting that mission presidents or missionaries have to undergo all that the Savior did as he went toward the summit of Calvary. Please don't misunderstand. That would, we're not talking about anything like his atoning experience. That would be ultimately presumptuous and sacrilegious. But I believe that missionaries and investigators and mission presidents and general authorities to come to the truth, to come to salvation, to know something of this price that has been paid. I believe we will all have to pay some small token, make some small gesture toward that acknowledgement. I do not believe missionary work has ever been easy, nor that conversion is, nor that retention is, nor that lifelong faithful faithfulness in the church is. I believe it is supposed to require something of our soul. If the Savior of the world could come forward in the night, kneel down, fall on his face, bleed from every pore, and cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, in effect, if this cup can pass, let it pass, then little wonder that salvation is not a whimsical or easy thing for us. Presidents, if your missionaries wonder if there isn't an easier way, they should remember they are not the first ones to ask that. Someone a lot greater. And a lot grander. Asked that a long time ago. Isn't there an easier way? 
Now, we're not the church that has people run to the front of a football stadium, throw their hands in the air, and say, I'm saved. It's not that easy. At least it wasn't that night and that day so very long ago when an infinite and eternal price was paid for that declared salvation. The atonement will carry you missionaries perhaps even more importantly than it will carry the investigators. When you struggle, when you're rejected, when you're spit on or cast out or made a hiss and a byword, you are taking your place and standing with the best life this world has ever known. The only pure and perfect life ever lived. You have reason to stand tall and be grateful that the living Son of the living God knows all about your sorrows and your disappointments and your afflictions. The only way to salvation is through Gethsemane and on to Calvary. The only way to eternity is through Him. He is the way the truth and the life. I testify that the living God is our eternal Father and that Jesus Christ is His living and be only begotten Son in the flesh. I testify that this Jesus who was slain and hanged on a tree was the chief apostle then and the chief apostle now. The great high priest, the chief cornerstone of His church in this last and greatest of all dispensations. I testify, I declare, I know with all my heart that he lives. That the whole triumph of the gospel is that he lives. And because he does, so will we. On that first Resurrection Sunday, Mary Magdalene first thought she saw a gardener. Well, she did. The gardener who cultivated Eden and the gardener who endured Gethsemane. The gardener who gave us the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the cedars of Lebanon, and the tree of life. I declare him to be the savior of the world, the bishop and shepherd of our souls, the bright and morning star. I know that our garments can be washed white only in the blood of that lamb, slain from before the foundation of the world. I know that we are lifted up unto life because he was lifted up unto death, that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And with his stripes we are somehow healed. I bear witness that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief because he had laid upon him 
the transgressions of us all. I bear witness that he came from God as a God to bind up the brokenhearted, to dry the tears from every eye, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and open the prison doors to them that are bound. I promise that because of your faithful missionary service, he will bind up your broken hearts. He will dry your every tear and set you and your families free. That is my missionary promise to you. And that is our missionary message to the world in the sacred and holy and redeeming name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.